Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host Jordan Ron on ESPN. ESPN.com Giants reporter. You feel that energy? That energy is because the Giants are on the brink of the postseason. They are now 8-5-1. and one, Will not have a losing record for the first time since 2016. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Also get to the biggest fallout from that game. And it involves Daniel Jones's future, in my opinion. Later on in this episode, we're going to talk to Max Kellerman, ESPN host, both on the radio side and TV as well. Big Giants fan. You'll be surprised. Max is a big-time Giants fan, so he pays attention very, very closely to the Giants. I think you'll like that segment. But first, let me get something off my chest. Okay, We watched that Giants game. It was there for the whole nation to see Sunday night. And Washington this time was the victim of some terrible calls. That's fine. It happens. And I'm a big believer in limited complaining and whining about calls. Because what goes around comes around. And so this applies to Giants fans as well. There's nothing more unbecoming than blaming losses blatantly on officials. Yes, it should have been pass interference at the end of the game. Darnay Holmes interfered. Yes, the illegal formation was a garbage call. Nitpicking. Could probably do it on every single play, right? I get it. Terrible calls. The pick play even earlier, debatable as well. All went against Washington. But A... Nobody wants to hear you whine about calls, and then everyone's always against you. The announcers are against your team. Come on. Nobody wants to hear it. Find a new take. Every team says the same thing. Every fan base says the same thing. So this time it's Washington, both the commanders and their fan base. Everybody's complaining. The officials disappear. Well, you know what? They have plenty of opportunities. Don't fumble the ball inside your own five-yard line for a touchdown. Don't fumble the ball inside the Giants' 20-yard line when you're going to score. Don't punt from the opponent's 34-yard line if you want to win. There's so many things you could point to as mistakes. or So to sit there and point out the one or two official mistakes, yes, it was costly. But, A, number one, we don't even know if it would have won Washington the game. Right? Best-case scenario, Washington gets the touchdown, still has to convert the two-point conversion, and even then, that's only a tie. Who says that Washington would have won that game? Giants still could have won that game. That's in the range of outcomes. So I don't want to hear about this whining, both fallout from the Washington side, and this applies to Giants fans and the Giants when they're in the same situation. I didn't like the stupid whining about Philadelphia not playing its guys in week, I guess at the time they were still playing a 16-game season, week 17 two years ago, right? Is everyone going to complain now? If the Giants need a win and Philadelphia doesn't play its players in week 18 this year, right? Philadelphia has everything clinched. Are you going to whine and complain that for the integrity of the game, they don't have everybody on the field? Come on. Stupid. You do what's best for you. What was best for the Eagles at the time was to not play all their guys until the end of the game. Put Nate Sudfeld in. They didn't care about the the end result, and they were okay with the loss because it helped them. Ultimately, they traded end up getting Devontae Smith, right? They traded ahead of the Giants, got Devontae Smith, and here we are right now. They're the best team in the league. But back to the point. Nobody likes referee whining after the fact. Applies for everybody. So with that being said, let's talk about the biggest fallout from that game, in my opinion. Big picture. I'm a big picture guy, if you haven't noticed already. 
the big picture with Daniel Jones. He now has pretty much checked almost every box along the way this season, right? Won big play games, made big plays down the stretch, played really well the other day in one of their big in their biggest game of the year. That essentially is going to help them when you we look back and say their biggest win to get them into the playoffs was this one, because Washington's their biggest competitor right now. And Daniel Jones, that 18-play drive that he drove the Giants down the field, it seemed like literally every throw, aside from I think the first one they got uh, Bellinger or Nick Vanette on one of these tight end leak plays, every throw he makes is into a tight window. Like that's the way they have to operate. And so he could play really well, which I thought he did the other day in a big spot. And you look at it and you're like, oh, he threw for 150 yards with no touchdowns. Eh, right? But that's where the Giants are. They didn't have a single pass play of 20-plus yards. They just don't have that explosiveness from the offense. They know they, their pass protection is still a liability. If they just went back there and slung it around the yard, he'd get smacked and killed. So he keeps checking all these boxes. And now I'm convinced he's going to be back at this point in some way, shape, or form. The Giants can't, after the lack of success that they've had, with no proven long-term answer or solution sitting right in front of them, Daniel Jones is going to be their quarterback moving forward. That's what I came away from that game the other day, Sunday night, thinking. Like it just won't even sit in a locker room well if you make the playoffs and have a good season and then get rid of Daniel Jones. That'll be hard to justify. And do you think John Mara and this ownership that has already invested in Daniel Jones, think about it. Last offseason, what they say about Daniel Jones? We've done everything to screw this kid up. So now they finally at least get the coach and the coaching staff right. They give him a better offensive line slightly. A running back because Saquon Barkley was finally healthy and never played a full season with Daniel Jones, healthy season with Daniel Jones until this year. Finally give him something, they have success, and then get rid of him. I really just do not see that happening at this point. I see some solution, whether it be the franchise tag, a realistic uh, sort of favorable long-term deal, three years, whatever, the Giants can get out after two, in the 25, 30, 30, little over $30 million range, 35, let's say, even tops, tops, tops. Look, I could see that happening. I really can. And to me, the clincher was seeing Daniel Jones play well in such a big game. And he did. Again, no turnovers. Lowest interception rate in the NFL. How about this? No quarterback has played all his team's games this season and had has thrown fewer interceptions than Daniel Jones. He has four interceptions. Less than Tom Brady. Less than Jalen Hurts. Less than Patrick Mahomes. You name it. Tua, all these guys having great years, fewer turnovers than all those guys. And what was always the knock on him? His pocket presence stinks. He turns the ball over. He you know, gets nervous when you know things start to break down every, and, and everything goes off the rails. This season just hasn't happened. He has been steady and protected the ball really well. So I am fully moved over to the fact and come to the realization that Daniel Jones, and this is just my opinion, is going to be back next year in some shape or form. That the Giants aren't going to let him just walk. Remember, the Giants are in the driver's seat here because they have that franchise tag. Daniel Jones has all the leverage in regards to how much he gets paid long term. Because he ultimately, if he gets to the free agent market, there will be suitors. 
The Giants have the leverage in whether he leaves or not because they have that decision. They have that mechanism, that franchise tag there to keep him if they so desire. So, And I, and I do. I think that's the way this is going to head. I really do. That's why I think the Giants were looking to see if they could get something done with Saquon during the bye week, and then it would leave them with the franchise tag to at least assure that they're not left naked at the quarterback position next year. And you can still go, you know, make another move and draft a guy and look to the draft, but you don't know what you're going to get there. We don't know if they're going to get the guy they want. And if they do, it's probably going to be costly. And so they have a lot of other spots they need to fix on this roster. I don't know if that's the way to go. But, all right, let's get to our guests. On to the next one. Feeling like you need a marketing degree and an extra day in your week to successfully market your small business? Let Constant Contact do the heavy lifting for you. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has powerful tools that make it easy to grow your audience, engage your customers, and sell more to boost your business. Now, in just a few clicks, you can launch a marketing campaign that's tailored to your business and goals. That includes email, social, SMS, and more. So you can sell more, raise more, and fast-track your business growth. Plus, you can always count on Constant Contact's award-winning customer support for guidance along the way. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight. S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, we're going to be joined here by Max Kellerman. Max, you know him very well. Obviously on ESPN, one of the co-hosts on KJM, Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max in the morning on ESPN Radio. His own show, This Just In, on the television side. Max, appreciate you joining us here. The reason we do it, that I wanted you on, and I didn't know this until probably like a year ago when I heard, you're a big Giants fan, huh? You grew up a Giants fan? You've been a Giants fan? Oh, yeah, my whole life. Yeah, for sure. Well, give me, give me mean, the back. My whole life. My whole <laughs> life. I mean, really, when I was a kid, if the, if the local team sucked, which the Giants did when I was a little kid, you had two out of market choices. You could either, if you didn't have a soul, you'd be a Cowboys fan. And if you were a decent human being, you'd be a Steelers fan. So (laughs) in spite of that, I was a Steelers fan. And, and, you know, as a little kid, before I even knew what was going on, you know, Joe green and that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, when, when LT came on the scene and the Giants started getting good, you know, little kids started paying attention to the Giants in New York. So those 80s, like late 80s, uh, early 90s Giants. Oh, mid-80s. That's mid, yeah, mid-80s, right. Yeah, yeah, L- yeah. LT came on actually in the early 80s. That was kind of like the turning point. Yeah, I but guess. by the time they got good, you like, you know, by 80, like in 85, the Bears were unstoppable, but the Giants were already good. You know, right. you knew they were good. Yeah, that was a big game the next year when they met in that 86. Like that was, you know, the, you knew that it was either the Giants, the Bears, or the 49ers. Like those were the teams around that time. And you knew. Right. 
one of them was going to win. Then the the Washington team popped in every few years and you know won their Super Bowl. But yeah, that was that was the the glory days for uh, Giants fans your age, I guess. Uh, so I'm curious what you're making of this season so far and Sunday night in particular. That was a big win in my opinion for this franchise, right? It, it put them in a different level, right? It, it was a nice story. They made the most out of this season, but that win on Sunday night for everybody to see, I think showed the entire nation that this Giants team is for, you know, is, is headed in the right direction. Yeah. I mean, I think we, we knew that all season, really, they, they, they're a little talent deficient on the offensive side. They don't have any receivers, but no, they've made not. additions to the offensive line with real, not just like when a team's trying to get cute and spending a third round pick but devoting real resources to the offensive line. The two bookends are both first round, high up first round draft picks, right? So they've done that. And it's not that they hadn't devoted resources in the past, but it's a much better, smarter regime right. now, right? So some no, of the hits Nate, from Nate the Solder previous, and Eric Flowers, yeah, total whiffs. Right. right. Total I mean, whiffs. Flowers actually wound up having a, you know, at yes. playing. But not as a tackle. Not as a tackle. Right, yeah, exactly. As a guard. But, and but, Nate Solder was an all-time bad signing. All-time bad look, signing. No question. And that because they had whiffed, they, they didn't get the guy they wanted. So he was kind of, there's no question, but the ones that stuck from the previous regime are there. Plus the new regime has had a lot of draft capital because the previous one wasn't any good. Right. And so we see offensive line. We have the, we have the beginnings of something there for sure for a while, hopefully. Right. And, uh, and we have, look, the fact is Daniel Jones has played an excellent quarterback this year an excellent quarterback, and that's without a real receiver. He has not had a receiver. Saquon is Saquon. We all know that. And the defense has really been the thing. Now, it's a thin team. There's not a lot of depth of talent. So the, the kind of doldrums in the middle of the season when the injuries start to mount, the Giants couldn't overcome that the same way. And you're not going to win every game close. So if your point differential is kind of means you should be at 500 or maybe a little underwater, and yeah. you're when you you know you barely lost that season. You're going to be due for a couple of close losses. That's what happened to the Giants, right? And Revert then they got to the mean kind track. of deal. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then they got Absolutely. back on track because because they have. Well, I mean, there's so much to talk about. But one of the advantages of a three-four, if that's going to be your scheme, is that outside pass edge rushers are hard to come by, right? You, but but defensive tackles, guys who can play in the middle, you can find good ones without expending as much capital, right? In terms of resources, money, right. draft picks or otherwise. Mm-hmm. And so when you got a couple of big old defensive tackles who can get some work done, which the Giants do, you don't really have to devote as many resources to your edge rushers, except that they have, right? They, Ojolari was a, was a steal if he can stay healthy, which is why he wasn't a first rounder. And right. it was Tibbet more was of a health monster. thing than anything else. Yeah. So the Giants, they, they, you know, and, and as long as Daniel Jones doesn't try and play superhero, which he hasn't this year, as no. long as he plays a nice, steady quarterback, makes a couple of big money down passes a game or plays a game, throws the ball away when he needs to, the Giants are a tough team. Tell me what you think of this theory, because you mentioned it there. You think Daniel Jones has played really well, excellent this year, and he's made some really big plays for them. The way he's played, it seems to me that he's basically assured that he's going to be back with this team in some shape or form. Like I can't see them getting off Daniel Jones, making the playoffs, having a strong year like he has considering they don't have a ready-made replacement for him. Like it's a little easier if you had Trey Lance, right? 
you know, if you drafted a guy second overall, say, okay, we're moving on to him because we already invested those resources. They don't have that person there. Are you on board with that line of thinking? Or do you think more or less that you, they should that go they, they, that they can go in a different direction? Like, can you envision that at this point? I could see them going in a different direction. I think if they have identity, think about who the coaching staff is like Shane, think about where they come from, the Buffalo tree. Right. Yeah, and not sure. only that, their offensive coordinator is the, you know, is the passing game coordinator, the quarterbacks coach of the chiefs. Like, yep. you know, right. They, they, and, and even their defensive coordinator, you know, wink, they got a real, old school, very successful with a heritage franchise defensive coordinator. Their coaching staff is quite good. In fact, I think it's probably top to bottom, both sides of the ball. You have an argument. It's the best in the game. Certainly is having the most impressive year considering the talent differential between the giants and the really good teams in the league. You know, Mm -hmm. that's starting with starting with Dable on down. Um, So, so if someone on that staff is has is just convicted in their they're just they believe in someone coming out this year in the draft and or this year you know meaning so we're talking about next year and they think no that's the next Josh Allen or whoever then right. I can see them drafting that quarterback but I love the idea of signing up Daniel Jones to a multi-year deal obviously not at the top of the market but the guy's a good player and he's doing all of this without a receiver, a top receiver. When you think about every single quarterback in the league, they like think about what happened when they took Aaron Rodgers' best receiver away. No good. He, Aaron Rodgers wasn't any good, right? Yeah. Tom Brady, no good. The only, the only guy who seemed to thrive in spite of not having his top wideout, and that's because he had his top chain mover, right? His top target was Patrick Mahomes. Right. But you but you take him away. None of these other quarterbacks. Are good. By the way, Keenan Allen, take him away from Justin Herbert. Not the same. Yeah. Give that top guy, on the other hand, to Josh Allen. Oh, my God. Look how good he is to Jalen Hurts. Oh, my God. Look how good he is. Right. So Daniel Jones, this is the phenomenon we see throughout the NFL. The top alpha receiver, especially a wideout is the second, I think, easily in this game, the second most important position on the field behind quarterback. And in fact, it's so important, it's closing the gap. It's so related to the quarterback's success. Daniel Jones doesn't have anyone resembling that. Nothing, yeah. right? And yet he's had a nice winning season as, as a steady Eddie quarterback who can pick up yards on the ground, who's not fumbling the ball, who's not throwing interceptions. And when he, and, and like making some nice passes, like, He's a, he's a good player. We just don't know how good because he's never had that, the, the receiver to find out. Yeah, well, oh, you're right because he his number one receivers have essentially been Golden Tate, uh, Kenny Galladay, Darius Slayton, and, you know, that's just quite frankly not good enough. So the question is, Max, you watch them all the time. You watch them every week. We're forced to let be left to dream, right, because we don't know for sure what he can be because they haven't put the right pieces around him in the four years that he was on his rookie contract. So as a giant fan and someone who watches this team regularly, what do you, in what do you dream? What can you see Daniel Jones being if he had those right weapons around him? Um, if, if he had those weapons around him, what could he be? Yeah. Like what, what when you dream, okay, I, like, let's say I, we know, get him okay. that number one, we get him that number one yeah. receiver somehow. You know, and and you get a number another guy in the draft, and you bring Shepard back, and you get, and you add, and you still have Slayton. Like, I have get something. it. The real question, like I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of a comp, 
the question is this. What if Tannehill was better than he is, right? Because he had everything he needed, and that was a really good team. But in the moment of truth in the playoffs, he couldn't do it. So imagine Orion Tannehill, but in the moment of truth in the playoffs, he was better than he normally is, right? Because if you describe that, you can win a Super Bowl with that guy. You know, I, I think Daniel Jones, best case scenario is a guy like that. A, yeah. a Ryan Tannehill type whose underlying numbers look really good, whose eyeball test says, yeah, that's a nice quarterback. And, and, and the best case scenario is when you need him most, he is better than he normally is. He's the, that's what Eli Manning was, right? That's what Nick Foles was. Right. They, 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 you know, right. They were, they were in the moments of truth. They were great. So Eli, but, Eli but, was better than Tannehill though in the regular season. I know, uh, I know there, I know he wasn't great. Yes, and that yeah, but Tannehill. I y- yes, yes, you know what I mean? Was, but there I'm were times where he could of, carry a team. Whereas I, Ryan Tannehill kind of just can't carry a team, you know? That's just not his deal. Right. But it, yes, but it's a different kind of quarterback. I'm trying to think of a guy who's more athletic than Eli or Foles, Yeah, no, no, I know? get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but that that's been my comparison for a while now is the Tannehill thing. But and then that's raises the question. And I agree with you. You can win games with guys like that, right? But do you want to build around that guy? That's the bigger that's the tough question, I think, especially when you're I don't think he's a build around type of quarterback. Yeah. You know, but I do think he is look, the Giants have a pass rush. Um they'll draft some been a while since you said that, by the way, Max. It's been a while. That's right. They'll draft some kind of inside linebacker types, right? They'll shore up against the, yeah, that's the run in this draft, you would imagine. Um, get a little deeper in the secondary, right? Once they do those two things, really what we're talking about is a wideout, an alpha wideout. So it seems to me that if they don't identify someone they like more than Daniel Jones in the next year, that if you signed them up for, say, three years, you know, Daniel Jones, to me, is easily a three-year, $75 million guy, right? You sign right. him up to something like that, your quarterback room, even if you find the guy you really want, is still coming in under the top-priced quarterback rooms. And meantime, he'd be a great mentor and a tremendous backup. And by the way, a good starter and a potentially very good starter, depending on what's around him. And and if, if you know, we find out about him, right? How yeah. we, you know, what we find out about him. So... I, like, I, do you build around him? No, I don't think he's that kind of player. But they got some stuff already. They got the coaching staff. And I have seen, I thought I was done with Daniel Jones. I have been very impressed, like not just impressed, but very impressed by him this year. Considering what, what he's mind? working with. What changed your mind? Right from the, first of all, he's not fumbling the ball. He's not turning the ball over. Um, he's playing a smart, efficient quarterback. He is making some nice plays when he needs to with his arm and with his legs, and he's doing it all without the receiver. Think about what they have. It was, Bellinger is probably their most reliable target, uh, right? Like and, and that's he was laugh- it's laughable. While. That's laughable. But it's you true. Know, it really. I know. I'm. I'm not arguing you. It's laughable though. I mean, like that. That's what he's dealing with. I, it, it, there's no other way to say it. But you just watch. It's an eyeball testing. Like yeah. watch the guy play. And I thought. I thought this Jordan was a. Big week for Daniel Jones in that way, because when you're facing a team that's more talented, um, uh, you know, in a must win kind of game, there is especially when your future is uncertain, there's a certain amount of pressure 
on the quarterback to make something happen at times. And there were moments in that game where it looked like here's where a less mature player would try to make too much happen and cost you the game. He never did that. You know, I thought that that 18 play drive, that 18 play drive, man. No question. I thought he played a very mature uh, winning brand of football against the commanders at a moment in the season that told me a lot about the kind of quarterback he could be. And now the only question is because like they don't call him Danny Dimes for nothing. You know, you saw in that first preseason, <laughs> no, wait a minute. He can he can actually really deliver the ball. He can spin it. Well, okay. Yeah, he's, he's got a good arm. He does. He does. Let's go get him a guy and find out. And in the meantime, because we're not a year away from winning the Super Bowl, you know. So no. next year is a pretty good time to find out. I thought that was a really good point you made. You get, you know, the $25 million, you know, let's say 25, even if it's 30. And then, yeah. you, and then even if you bring in another guy, you're still paying market value for a quarterback room in general. So you could still right. do both. It's not one. It doesn't have to be one or the other. I thought that was a really good point. By the way, over the court, over the life of his deal, if you draft a quarterback, you're, ha- you're going to have Daniel Jones and the other guy on his rookie deal, right? Like exactly. the, <laughs> I don't see the downside, but here's the great thing, Jordan, like for years, people would ask, Hey, what should the giants do? And it felt like, that everyone knew better than the GM, right? And better than the franchise. And now when people ask me, what do you think the Giants should do? I I feel like I'm in good hands. I don't know. Ask Joe Shane. He knows more than I do. You know? No, I 100% agree with that. Yeah, I 100% agree with that for sure. Like you just feel like there's a competent group running the organization when you just didn't have that feel for a long time. And it was a big problem. And obviously the results showed. So let's live in this world, Max. We got to this point. We're obviously feeling you're feeling good about where the Giants are as a franchise and as a team. They're on the verge of the playoffs, right? We have them at ESPN, the analytics people at 91% to make the playoffs. Really high number. Let's say they lose their final three games. Do you still consider this season a success? Yes. Yes. The season, by the way, this is the season was a success, even had they lost to the commanders and lost everything. Like the games that they were losing were close games after they'd won a bunch of close games. They are talent deficient. If this team would have gotten to seven wins this year, they would have had a schedule. I think, they, you know, they didn't have anything. Yeah. They had, and, and, and when I think about the job that Dable has done, and I mean, from the first press conference, to going for going for two, you know, and and talking to the team and the coaches, like what do you guys think? Like getting consensus on the sidelines, and it, even if it hadn't have made it, but it did. They made the two with Saquon, and the way he's protected Daniel Jones behind a line that, especially at first, was young and and young in certain areas, and then older and mediocre in other areas. But the way he protected Daniel Jones, the things he did, just like. Dable is uh, for the first time in a long time. I wouldn't rather have any other coach. I'm not trading. I'm not trading you my coach for your coach. I don't care who you have. I like this guy. And that's a great feeling as a franchise because it is, you know, it's neck and neck between quarterback and coach, which is actually the most important thing to have. Right. And mm-hmm. we got a coach and then even the, the coordinators. I love the coordinators we got. I, I, you know, on both sides of the ball, I think we're really good. I think we're in good hands. So, yeah, sneaky that he this sneaky and positive. He hired a really good staff. Very, very sneaky. Yeah, this is this is a raging success this season. No matter what happens from here on out, 
And now we have to see, you know, if they can take the next step. Well, the likelihood is they're going to make the playoffs. You have a preference? I mean, the likelihood is you're playing either San Francisco or Minnesota again, who they play this week. Is is that a no-brainer that you'd rather see Minnesota there? Oh, yeah. Easy. Easy. But, like, it, neither of those teams are unbeatable. I know, oh, San Francisco. No, no. It's not, it's not an unbeatable team. For the Giants, uh, you, know, you, you think the Giants yeah, could no. go into San Francisco? And Dude. there's a there's a scenario you think they could, I have trouble finding a scenario yeah. where they could score more than 10 points against that team right now. Well, but, well, you know, unless you score some points on defense. The reason they exactly. wouldn't beat Especially San Francisco. Yeah. The reason they wouldn't beat San Francisco is because the, the Giants can't stop the run. You know, like that's, that's true. That's the problem right now. And, and, and San Francisco, once they got their hands on the cat free, they, they haven't had an athlete like that at a skills position, right? Like Debo's really good. Kittle's really good. Those are great football players, but they're not those electric next level playmaker guys. And when you already have those guys and then you add McCaffrey and now you can, uh, you know, good luck. So, of course, they'd be huge underdogs, not unwinnable, but unlikely that they would win. But the issue for me is not, can they make a run in the playoffs? Probably not. The issue for me is I want these young, you know, core pieces to get playoff experiences. Yeah. Because you want to talk about the benefits of of, of being ahead of schedule. Here it is. Get these guys, these young guys, some playoff experience. Yeah, there's no way that can hurt, right? That's only a benefit moving forward. I feel, always feel like the great teams, they, they take one step at a time usually. It's not just like a instant jump, right? You know, you, like that's the way the Bills were built. They're they're making yeah. the, each year they keep, they're going a little bit further. Now we're looking at them. They're a legit Super Bowl contender. And you, you think that eventually they'll be able to get over that hump. Uh, we'll end with this, Max. I'm curious. What was it like? Uh, I believe you, the first Super Bowl in seven, you were... I believe at ESPN radio in New York. Am I right about that? That's right. The second one in 11, you were out in LA in at that LA. time. Yeah. Correct. What was it like watching and where were you uh, like in supporting that team and, and, and with Eli and everything. And then what was it like later on when you're on first take and everything and you see Eli deteriorating and having to go through that argument back and forth? Well, it's a good question. No one's ever asked me that. I, <clears throat> first of all, in 07, I was on New York radio and we did a listener uh, contest and took some people to the Bahamas <laughs> and uh, to watch the Super Bowl with Joe Morris on the beach on a giant screen. Right. You're and talking, you're right talking 2007 against the undefeated Patriots. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, wow. And right during the Tyree play, the, the TV went out at the beach. <laughs> No. So everyone ran to the bar, right? Joe Morris, everyone's <laughs> running to the bar because they had another TV there and got there just in time to see the play. So we actually didn't miss it. But you know, like we're running with Joe Morris on the beach to the other team, right? So that was how I saw that. I could not believe when I think of the times in my life where it was just pure endorphins, right? Like, oh my God, this is what you know, crack must feel like, like, Oh my right. God, what is this feeling? Like, like something's chemically changing in my body. It's euphoria. Um, I, you know, that is one of the moments of my life. I remember <laughs> it's why now the second Super Bowl in 11, I'm in LA at that time. And what I couldn't believe is that the same exact thing was happening. <laughs> the same right. thing was happening. Now the stakes weren't as high because this wasn't, you know, remember if the, I don't really think there's an argument against it. Easily, biggest play in the history of football, easily, is the Tyree catch. 
And that right. was easily the biggest game in the history of football. And people can argue whatever they want. Oh, the Jets Super Bowl. Get out of here. Look, the, that Patriots team was about to be called. Yeah. The um, greatest the team, greatest of all team time. in the history mm-hmm. of American team sports. All they had to do was win the Super Bowl. And no, they would have been argued over the Bulls, over any team. That's the team. The fact that the Giants beat them, the Boston team, right? right. By the way, the Red Sox had won the series that year. The Red Sox had won in 04, right? They were taking over the 21st century, the New York, Boston, like the whole thing. That was unbelievable. But the fact that it was unfolding again in 2011. Yeah. That, like, that remember- killed all the people, Max. That was like shooting down all the people that said, oh, you got lucky. It was just one lucky break, one lucky run, right? That, 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 that second one. Totally just was, blew was, that out the window. You ever feel as a fan exhausted at the end of a game <laughs> like you played? I felt exhausted. Like I couldn't. The first one was euphoria as a fan. And the second one was exhaustion. Like I just couldn't believe what happened. And I just felt like I had to like rest afterward just as a fan. So those were incredible moments as a sports fan, as a New York football Giants fan. And then on first take when they stunk, look, Eli Manning never has to buy a drink around me, right? You know, like, forget that. I love that dude for what he did, but you have to tell the truth. And I thought he wasn't done. I thought he wasn't done. And then when it became very apparent that he was done, I said it repeatedly. He's cooked. This is the remains of Eli Manning. It was no good. Last two or three years on the Giants, he was terrible. Yeah, he was. And it's just, you know, he got old. Like, everyone gets old. He basically admitted it after the fact. He probably should have, you know, hung it up a little earlier. He said that yeah. he said that at the end, you know, after he was done. So and he didn't I didn't do him any favors that Jerry Reese with time was putting by, putting him behind a porous offensive line. If you had no. an old, slow quarterback behind a terrible offensive line. Of course, it's not going to do him any favors. Yeah, it was a recipe for failure for sure. Uh, but th- that's interesting because you got to maintain that professionalism. But it's got to hurt a little bit, too, because. You're criticizing the guy that you that got you those two Super Bowls. And I know how Giants feels fan Giants fans feel about Eli Manning and that trust me I get people that still criticize me to the day for being you know all over Eli because when I showed up Max I show up in 13 right they're 0-6 that season it was a bad year mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he threw what was it 28 interceptions I think that year so I show up yeah, and I'm, been. I'm criticizing him left and right because he had an awful year the team was terrible it wasn't all his fault for sure and then, like, it didn't really get much better. But so I, I feel how that's not an easy situation to have to criticize him, especially when he had, had done that. But uh, you're a but, professional. But for people to know, Jordan, for people to understand Eli's level of clutch, 538, when they were the ESPN, did a poll, did, did a uh-huh. study. Who was the most clutch quarterback who ever lived? So they took the baseline of their performance in the regular season, and then they took their performance in the playoffs and looked at the difference, right? Like, who, who elevated the most? Okay. And the winner of the, of, they use a certain methodology. Eli Manning won, but by so much, they thought that something was wrong. History of football, <laughs> right? In the playoffs, he, he won by so much. They actually sat down and said, okay, we have to redo the methodology here because this can't be right. So right. they redid it to get like Trent Dilfer off of it, right? They wanted to get any name like that off. Like, let's just, let's get to what we actually mean here. And when they redid it, it was much closer. This time, Joe Montana was second, barely behind Eli Manning, who was still first of all time. So it, 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 <laughs> that's crazy. That, that right. just shows you. But here's my question to you. And because I know you're a big analytics kind of guy anyway, you're into this kind of stuff. How much do you believe in the clutch gene? 
or how much do you believe in being opportunistic with your with your chances and that if there was a sample size big enough in the end it would kind of everything would revert I have a, I have a philosophical issue about that Jordan really and I don't know where I am on it because we're trying to measure ability and can you repeat the performance under pressure but in our actual universe in this actual life there will only be so many chances and philosophically I don't know if there is in fact a difference between what happened right if the sample size is small so be it right and your ability to do it and repeat it because we'll never know so yeah. I, I I don't I don't know if it's actually like even this goes for like RBIs in baseball, which of course at one point were very overvalued. Well, if a certain player came up and it's, I understand you're making a model and predictions for the future and putting together a team, you may want to consider that in terms of how you put the team together. But in, in the case of what actually happened, the guy hit 350 with runners in scoring position, he had a ton of RBIs, right? Like mm-hmm. that real, I don't know if he could do it again the next year, but he did it that year. And right. there may not be a next year. <laughs> there aren't that many years in a career. Particularly right, there's only in so football. many chances. There aren't so many plays in in a football career, especially in the playoffs. So I don't know how to answer that question other than this is what happened. Eli Manning in two separate playoffs went on the road the entire time, beat Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau, beat Tom Brady in the Super Bowl twice, once (laughs) when it was the highest stakes of all time. He did it both times by making miracle passing plays (laughs) to to throw to Tyree. And then I mean, it wasn't a miracle play to Plex, but it was, you know, clutch. But the throw to Tyree was a miracle play. And the Manningham throw was was a yeah. was like it was one of the great plays of all time. Yeah, that's a skill throw. That was that was lucky. That was just a great throw. That's was a great throw. And it's Belichick saying, okay, we're taking away your first and second, second options. Go beat us yeah. with Manning. Make Eli. And he did. Yeah. Right? Like, so I, so, you know, who knows? I don't know. We can't replay the universe a billion times to find out how much of that would repeat itself. But that's what happened. And Eli Manning did that. And that's why he's going to the hall of fame. Those two runs. Right. Like that's why he, I mean, aside from that, he'd have, he'd have zero shot if it wasn't for those Iron two. Man streak helps. Yes, that was that's the third. Those are the three things that that you look at Eli Manning and you're like, he never he always played. He had those two playoff runs and then he he does. He did rack up a lot of passing yards in his career. That's the third thing people like to use, even though I think that's another that's another argument for another day. Passing yards now are not equal to passing yards. 15, 10, 15 years. Of course. Yeah. So. All right, Max, I appreciate it. Uh, A lot of fun here. I think Giants fans are going to be very interested to hear this. I never heard this giant side of you. So it's a, it's a, oh, it's, a, oh, it's, a no. it's a fun little discussion. We used to play, we used to play on the Max Kellerman show on ESPN radio in New York. Um, after that Super Bowl, we took you play by play through the Super Bowl. I was playing cuts of Tom Brady saying, we're only going to score 17 points. Okay. Uh, yeah, you know, like, made the prediction. we were playing, like we celebrated that team for a year straight on the radio. <laughs> I love it. Good talking right. to you, Jordan. Appreciate you, Max. Speak again soon. On to the next one. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. 
Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, thanks there to Max Kellerman. He crushed it. You can tell Max is a big Giants fan. Follows the team very, very closely. Uh, his analysis right there explains everything you need to know about his Giants fandom for sure. Real quick, we're going to end with a Jordan on the beat here. This is the portion of the podcast where I tell you what it's like to cover the Giants, work for ESPN, or cover the NFL in general. And I'm going to tell you real quick about the trip to Washington. Okay, because when you cover the NFCs, this is one of the benefits. It's really the only division that applies in this way, shape, or form, is that the Giants have Philadelphia and Washington. Two close trips, either you, your decision, you can make it either driving, train, whatever. So, easy trips. For me, since I live in central Jersey, I can make that trip to Maryland in about under three hours. So, for me, it's not worth taking the train or or flying or whatever. To me, the drive is, is easiest. Philadelphia, same thing. Philadelphia is no problem. Everyone drives to Philadelphia. But a lot of people do take the train, especially if you live in New York, take the train to Maryland for the Washington games. Now, makes it easy. You go down there, so it's a good trip. The worst part of the trip, though, is that you got to go to that stadium. Probably my least favorite stadium in the NFL. Number one, I don't think there's anything special about FedEx Field. Number two, the food in the press box, and I'm not one to usually complain about food, is terrible. And because it's free food, how can you, I always say, how can you really complain about free food? And you can't, but I don't want, like eating there. So I don't want to eat there. Let me tell you, there's, there was a hot dog. There was some sort of chicken parm there. I think if I had to rate the food at all these places, I would put Washington last. They had a chicken parm there. It really wasn't chicken parm. It was some sort of almost looked like grilled chicken with like Parmesan cheese on top. And I just wasn't going to eat that. I, I, none of it. The hot dogs. I, used to, I remember looking at the hot dogs in the past. They, they used to be green green looking. So nothing. that I, I just couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. So I ate the entire. So we had some food. It's a night game. So I had like a 2 o'clock, you know, sat at a bar, watched football, ate, my, ate nachos and uh, wings and that kind of stuff. You know, your football fair food. And then you go to Washington, and I'm just like, I can't do it. So my in-game eating consisted of Doritos, uh, granola bars, cookies, and hot chocolate. Skipped dinner and ate those, ate and drank those four things. And I had a bottle, a couple bottles of water. And remind you, so we get there at like, you know, 5 o'clock-ish. You're leaving at about... Because you have to work. There's the game. The game doesn't end till 11.30. You have the locker room. You have to write. So we're leaving at like 2 a.m. So let's say from 5, 6 o'clock to 2 a.m. Skip dinner. Ate Doritos, cookies. Had hot chocolate, water, and granola bars. Multiple granola bars. That's what you're subjected to when you go to Washington. And... You have the worst seat. The seat there is bad. You're in, like, the corner of the end zone, so you're far back. There's, like, outside the window you're looking at. Like, the press box is in an enclosed area, which is always great. Not freezing. So, 
huge benefit to that. That's every that's almost every stadium except for indoor ones. They might have an open air open uh, air press box, but there's like the bars. It's almost like you have it, it, it on the in the windows in front. So some people have obstructed views. Just the, the worst stadium, in my opinion. Listing from a working perspective, stadiums, even though like New Orleans, like I remember New Orleans, the the view being so high. Uh, a couple other stadiums. I think it was Detroit is super high too. Uh, no, sorry, Indianapolis. Indianapolis super high. Still, rather be super high on the in the field of play, near even if it's not midfield, even if it's like the twenty. Rather be up high than middle, which is the middle mezzanine type section in Washington, but in the corner of the end zone behind windows that could be having a sh- obstructed view. In addition to that, terrible food. But at least in the morning, you get up. Drive home whenever you want. That's a benefit. And you're home within a few hours. You know, I'm, I was home in less than three hours once I started going. So huge benefit to that. So that's what it's like when you cover the NFC East and you go to Washington. The good is it's a train or driving trip. The bad is that stadium stinks. Just what you'd expect from Daniel Snyder's team. A team that, by the way, an organization that, by the way, at one point used to charge you for the internet, to use internet there. $20 a pop. I think I mentioned this before. Totally ridiculous. No other place did it at the time, except for Washington. Ah, awful place. Anyway, that's it for this episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. See you next time. <laughs>